Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. This morning we are moving into or shifting into uh, the next kind of practice of intimacy, the tool that God has given us to become intimate with Jesus. And, and, and the, our communications department knows that I, one thing that I hate about preaching is making up a title. Um, not my favorite thing, but this one was super easy because I have titles today's sermon, Fasting and Furious. So right. Like it is so right. <laughs> it's like Holy Spirit inspired should be a book of the Bible. But anyway, um, uh, so <laughs> yeah, take that for what it's worth. Um, you know, we live, and this is pretty obvious, we live in, an, in a culture of unrestraint. Um, it does not take much to look around and recognize. It doesn't even take looking around to know that we live in a place where restraint is, is all but, but non-existence. Um, We see it everywhere. We see it in our consumerism. We see it in our social media. We see it in our eating habits. We see it in our information wars. Um, In fact, patience and self-restraint is belittled. It is set off to the side. It's interesting. I think of the phrase that you maybe are familiar with, the heart wants what the heart wants. And that's kind of a, a phrase that have, has come to kind of define the fact that, you know what, I, I can't not want this. Or something I just want is just natural and, you know, like that's, that's what it is and, and I just, you know, nothing I can do. You know, I was thinking, because I didn't know, I was wondering kind of where, where does that come from? Because it's just become a thing in our society. It's become a statement. It's something that people say. People I like say that statement. People I don't like say that statement. It's just a, it's just a, a thing that we say and so I started to look to see where did that come from? And, and I was, it was interesting. It comes from a Time Magazine interview from 1992. And for those of you who maybe were around at that time and, and, and were um, up on, on uh, kind of uh, pop culture, it was when Woody Allen and me and Mia Farrow were together. And what happened is Woody Allen was dating Mia Farrow, and at the same time, he was sleeping with Mia Farrow's adopted daughter, Soon Yi. Um, Alan, at the time, was 56 years old. Soon Yi was 21. And eventually, Alan married Soon Yi. And this uh, author from this Time magazine, he interviewed Woody Allen. And throughout the interview in Time magazine, the interviewer kept coming back to trying to give Alan an opportunity to kind of accept and recognize his responsibility in this unethical and this immoral behavior and just take responsibility for for his own lack of character and his actions. And so the interviewer kept kind of opening these opportunities and throwing these things out so that Alan would, would kind of recognize that, and he, he didn't. And so finally, at the end of the, the article, he gives him one last chance. And Woody Allen summarizes the whole thing 
in these words. The heart wants what the heart wants. That's where that comes from. After learning that, I'd rather not use that phrase anymore. <laughs> Feel like it's a wobbler, not, not something you want to use, maybe. <laughs> but that kind of summarizes our justification for what we do, doesn't it? It's just what I want. I can't say no to my heart. So I think the question is, what, what does your heart want? Does it want comfort? Does it want success? Influence, does your heart want freedom or peace? Does my heart want intimacy at any cost? And with who? <clears throat> Paul, the Apostle Paul actually talks about this idea of, of a culture and a system of unrestraint in Galatians chapter five. You don't have to turn there, but I would encourage you maybe just to read Galatians five this week. Um, he recognizes that, that, that unrestraint is not a characteristic just of our culture and our society, but it is something that has been rampant throughout human history. In fact, in verse one of chapter five, he, he talks about how our flesh is out of control. Makes sense. Heart wants what the heart wants. And, and he says in verse 13, he begins to say that we, we tend to interpret freedom not the way God defines freedom, but we interpret it for ourselves. He goes on in verse 16, and he, and he talks about how we walk in a mixture of the flesh and the spirit. That there is a, a, a mixture, a hypocrisy within that where we're walking sometimes more fleshly, a little bit of spirit, and maybe more spirit, a little bit less flesh, but, but we walk in this, this place of, of being mixed up. And he, and he says we need to crucify the desires of the flesh so that we can walk in the spirit. And, 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 and basically he says that, and the thing that we recognize about ourselves is that we are so often unwilling to crucify our flesh and its desires. One of the things that I think is pretty amazing about what Paul says in Galatians 5 is, and I want you to catch this, he, he identifies the opposite of indul indulging in the flesh as loving your neighbor. The opposite of indulging in the flesh is loving your neighbor. That's incredible, isn't it? So, so that would suggest that you can tell that I am or I'm not walking in the spirit when I use harsh, divisive, angry, and insulting language about my neighbor, whether friend or enemy, because that's indulging in my flesh. That would be an indicator that I am not walking in the spirit because I'm not loving my neighbor. I, I think that our unrestrained culture has arrived and even in the church it exists in a, with pretty deep roots. And I think we've arrived at this point in part because we have not taken Jesus seriously about fasting. I think that we are in this place of unrestraint because we have not taken Jesus seriously about fasting. So this morning, I want to kind of give you an introduction and overview of what biblical fasting is. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be, we're going to be talking about fasting. Because fasting is, is one of the primary ways that Jesus says that we will become intimate with him. But I want to, right at the front, and I want you to understand this, that, that biblical fasting is not about a transaction with God. It is not a transaction with God. 
And it is not only reduced to self-denial. Fasting cannot be used to prove something to God or convince him to do something. That's not what fasting is. Why? Because the cross has fully secured God's favor for believers. The fasted lifestyle is a a consistent, regular, and ongoing approach to life that, that limits our experience of fullness to create more space for the fullness of God in our lives. That's what fasting is. So I don't want us to be confused that fasting is a transaction or, or it makes something special about me or, or it, it raises my spiritual value. But, but fasting is about our relationship with Jesus. When you think about the history of fasting throughout the Bible and the, and the, and the, and the church that Jesus established, uh, you look into the Old Testament and every year in Israel, there was at least one fast. It was on the Day of Atonement. It was an annual fast with humility and repentance in view. And all of Israel would fast together. We see the people of Israel, those that we see as spiritual examples and servants of God. Moses fasted. Daniel fasted. Hannah fasted. Ezra, Nehemiah. King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, as he brought Judah back to repentance and crying out to God, asked all of Judah to fast with him. And when the king in the Old Testament asked that everyone fasted, everyone fasted. It wasn't like a mandate, you know, so um, whatever. So, so like everyone fasted. And, 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 then, and then you move into the New Testament and what you see right off the bat is Anna fasted as she looked forward to and anticipated the, the, the coming Messiah. You see Jesus fasting. He begins his ministry with a 40-day fast. You see the followers of Jesus as the, as the church grows and develops fasting. You see Paul, Barnabas, the early church, they all participated and, and fasting was a regular practice of pursuing intimacy with Jesus Christ. Up until recently, fasting was a core practice of intimacy with Jesus among the people of God. For a thousand plus years, Jesus' followers fasted. In fact, for about 400 years, people of God fasted every Wednesday and Friday from sunup to sundown. In, In fact, fasting was no less an expectation than church attendance at one point. Isn't that interesting? Like we see going to church on Sunday as, as a primary indicator that you are following Jesus. Now, it's not, unfortunately, it's, it's not. I mean, you can go to church multiple times and not be following Jesus. But it's interesting that fasting was that thing. That fasting was a primary indicator Regular fasting was a primary indicator that you were following Jesus. Within the Catholic Church, over years, fasting increasingly became more legalistic and and man-centered, kind of like that idea of it's transactional. It's getting God to do something. It's raising my value in God's sight, which isn't the purpose or, or point of fasting. 
So in the Reformation, the Protestant reformers rejected kind of the obligatory Catholic fast, but they retained fasting as a valuable spiritual practice. Regardless of where your history of kind of perspective on theology comes from, whether Martin Luther or John Calvin or Jonathan Edwards or John Wesley, whether Calvinist or Arminian, all of those practices and schools of thought highly valued fasting as a spiritual discipline and a pathway toward intimacy with Jesus. We see later, in more modern times, we see men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and C.S. Lewis highly valuing fasting and promoting it and, and living it out in their lives. It wasn't really until the Enlightenment and post-Enlightenment that fasting started to go to the wayside. And so for us in the Western church, many of us in the evangelical church, fasting has been a non-issue. In the Enlightenment, and here, let me give you a simplistic definition of the Enlightenment. Again, super simplistic. The Enlightenment basically said human beings are brains on legs. That intellect was what was important, nothing else. I mean, everything else was substitute to, 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 to the intellect and reason are primarily what matters. And so the Western church bought into the lie that we become like Jesus primarily and almost only through our minds. It's actually pretty difficult for a Western Christian to comprehend becoming like Jesus not only through our minds, but through our stomachs. How many of you have ever thought that? That I become like Jesus through my stomach? I mean, not look like Jesus through your stomach, but, but become like Jesus. That's part of spiritual formation. That's part of becoming like Jesus. That's part of surrender to God's will and agenda in his kingdom. That just is something that we've, I mean, not something we think about. Because we think about, well, how do we grow? Well, we grow by reading books and listening to sermons or podcasts. And we memorize these passages, and that's how we become more like Jesus, through information gathering and attainment. We don't become like Jesus by what we eat, by our stomachs. And it's interesting, we have all this information, we have all this, this knowledge, yet the church today as a whole might be one of the most gluttonous communities in the world. <laughs> Maybe not the Afghan church, but the American church does seem to be. I mean, when was the last time you or I were actually hungry at the next time to eat a meal? <laughs> I was thinking about the last week of my life. I don't believe that every time a meal time came up, I was actually hungry for food. I mean, I ate it because I want to be polite, but but I wasn't hungry. <laughs> and, and so we live in a place where, where Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. But do we even have an idea of what hungering and thirsting is? I mean, oftentimes we can use a phrase like, I'm starving between meals because we want a snack. <laughs> because Snickers satisfies, right? <laughs> but but, but, but it's, it's so interesting that, that we... I think we've missed in a lot of ways one of the primary things that God does, and I think the consequence of that 
has been that we in the church are a little different from the world when it comes to our ability to restrain our flesh and our desires. Think about it just for a second. In our church experience, some of the most learned and knowledgeable men and women in the gospel have done some of the most fleshly things to destroy their ministries. Guess what, knowledge doesn't fix it. It is crucifying the flesh to walk in the spirit, and I think a primary avenue is fasting. And I think one of the reasons we have this problem, especially in the evangelical church, is because we have ignored a primary thing Jesus calls us to. Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, kind of the anchor passage for this series on intimacy in Jesus, and I'm just gonna read what he says in verses 16 to 18 about fasting because he says the same exact thing as he says about giving and about prayer. The same words except just replacing giving and prayer with fasting. So it's the same, the same thing applies to fasting. He says, and when you fast, when you fast, an expectation of fasting, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. He talks about the hypocrites and the others, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He talks about in a reward that is gotten by impressing the people around you. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you the same thing is said about fasting as giving in prayer, that, that the reward that you get for that when you don't go out to impress people is that you get intimacy with Jesus. Just like prayer, just like meditating on scripture, just like giving. In Matthew 9, Jesus has an awesome opportunity to expand a little bit about fasting and how Jesus' followers see fasting. Matthew 9, in verse 14, <clears throat> John the Baptist's disciples come to ask Jesus a question, and this is how it goes. It says, then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we, John's disciples, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, Jesus, your disciples do not fast? And that's a great question. That's a legitimate question. And, and, so, and so, so Jesus has asked this question, and and. and and, and why do those who are part of the practice that pursues Yahweh, why do all of them fast except for your disciples? Jesus responds and he says, and he said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and, they, and, they and then they will fast. You ever seen this passage, come across this passage and say, eh, it's kind of, I don't, I don't know, I don't get it. Jesus talks about a wedding and that you're not sad at a wedding. But then he says, there will come a day when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. Jesus predicted that his people would fast and mourn out of pain over his absence. That's what Jesus is saying there. That, that his followers will mourn out of pain because of his absence. Because, because Jesus' physical presence is normal, and his absence is not normal. See, this kind of mourning is not a sad mourning, but a joy-filled mourning, precisely because we know a day is coming when we will see the object of our affection face to face. 
See, we often act if Jesus' absence is normal, but it's not. I think the tragic truth is that many Christians would never think about the return of Jesus if the economy was strong, if their bodies were full and healthy, and their local church offered enough programs to fulfill their desire for activity and friendship. I think many Christians think about the return of Jesus as a heavenly retirement plan. But Jesus expects that his followers will fast as a practice of pursuing intimacy with him. That's what he says. Why? Because we have to be reminded, we have to constantly remind ourselves that what we are living in is not normal. That we are made to be in the the physical presence of Jesus. And yes, Jesus' spiritual presence is with us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But there is something missing. It is the physical face-to-face with Jesus. And that's not normal. See, it's become normal because what if there was a physical manifestation of Jesus right here, right now? We would all say, that's not normal. (laughs) But that's what is normal. That's most normal. And so the question, you know, that we kind of run to because of our lack of historical involvement with fasting is what is fasting? Biblical and historically, fasting is willingly denying my body food in an attempt to starve my flesh. It's a practice of self-denial to what we hunger for so we can intentionally hunger for God. I wanna wanna get real specific because I've heard a lot of different things about fasting and I think fasting is very narrow and specific. What I've seen, and I'm not an expert, but what I've seen biblically, specifically biblically and historically, and not till more modern, maybe redefinitions of fasting Fasting has to do with food and the stomach, period. Fasting has to do with food. Because fasting is a physical practice of something that is absolutely necessary for us to have. If I don't eat food, I will not live, period. I have to have food to live. And, and fasting is this thing that is connected to our stomachs, not anything else. I think biblically. See, I could fast from like social media and I would probably live. I'd probably be a better person, in fact. I could fast from sugar. I'd probably be good for me, but it's not worth it. I mean, if you like to be miserable in life, but, but yeah, you'll live longer and sadder. But, sorry, I shouldn't, I should just let that go. (laughs) If you feel attacked, I'm not attacking you. Live without sugar, and I'll just see Jesus sooner. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I gotta let this go, don't I? Um, (laughs) uh, Here's the thing, abstinence or abstaining from something is, is different from fasting, and that has to do with denying anything which is legitimate in and of itself with a spiritual purpose in mind. And that's good, but it's not fasting, okay? If I'm fasting, I'm fasting from food. And here's the thing, while abstaining from social media or TV or like bathing, it's like junior high, <laughs> eating out, 
brushing your teeth, that's your littler kids, um, Starbucks, getting my nails done, whatever, that can be a good and beneficial spiritual practice, but it isn't fasting because it doesn't really engage our bodies. Fasting denies a human need that survival is impossible without. It is an ultimate surrender and trust that God is enough even when my need is not met. That's why I would draw a hard line on fasting. And I think fasting from food can only accomplish what God wants in that context where abstaining from something I don't think goes. But abstaining from things is a valuable and significant spiritual practice. It's just not fasting, I don't think. You see, fasting reveals that which controls me. When you think about it, if, if you haven't eaten, many people get angry, and we excuse those anger problems because we say, oh, they're just hungry. I think it's, that's, that's not it. I, I think there's something significant that we're so dependent on food that we treat people poorly when we don't have it. That was my mom's answer for most things is anytime I was upset, she said, oh, you're just hungry. I remember one time I was in the kitchen and I was, I was upset and I was angry and she was making, making dinner and she would just kind of take a piece of food out what she was making and put it in my mouth. Unfortunately, at that moment, our dog was in the kitchen making, being a problem as well. So at the same time, she grabbed like a, a milk bone and some food in her hand and not really thinking who, which was going where. She put the food in the dog's mouth and the milk bone in my mouth and I was like, dinner is gonna be awful tonight. <laughs> But, but, but again, fasting reveals what controls us. And, and so understanding what, what kind of we, we see as a basic fast, it, if you look at Israel in, in the Old Testament into the New Testament, a basic fast was a one-day fast which was sun up till sundown. That was just kind of their practice. And often in that process, they were starting out often sad anxious, even, even angry. But eventually, if we participate and surrender to Jesus as we fast, those things will shift to joy and contentment, intimacy with Jesus and spiritual power. But this takes time for us who live in a culture where our gods are pleasure, instant gratification, and sensory appetites. Really what fasting does, it reveals to us that we are still in bondage, like Paul says in Galatians 5. We don't have to be in bondage still because Jesus has set us free, but fasting brings that to the surface. Now I want something, this is super important for us to hear. There is wisdom in fasting. Two things, one, physical health. There are some physical conditions that you want to make sure that you are wise about when you fast. Diabetes, blood pressure issues, heart trouble, or other significant physical issues, if you have those and they're significant, then I would ask you, implore you, to talk to your doctor if you're considering a significant fast. That's not going against what Jesus says in Matthew 6, that is wisdom. <laughs> if you're gonna do a significant fast and you struggle physically, then please talk to your doctor. 
Tell them what you're going to do and how you want to do it. Even why, if you want. Maybe it's a great opportunity to share your story with them. But make sure you have wisdom in that. And secondly, and not less important, equally important, is mental health. Because for so many of us, our, our relationships with our bodies is pretty messed up. And so many people have body image struggles. And these struggles are as real as those physical conditions. They are no less real or no less significant. And so if you struggle with your body, I think it would be wise to, to fast, if you choose to fast, to fast within community or with a godly counselor. If you have body image struggles, do not fast alone. And not only will you be walking toward intimacy with Jesus through fasting, but you'll be walking into community that Jesus calls us into as you approach fasting. So like for you, it's like two birds with one stone. <laughs> but, but recognize that. I love what Annie F. Down says. She's a speaker and an author. She says every time she begins a significant fast in her life, there are three people who know about it. Her pastor, her counselor, and her doctor. I think that's brilliant. I think that's incredibly intelligent, wise. I love that, that idea. Fasting accomplishes not only intimacy with Jesus, but it accomplishes a number of things in our lives. Fasting is a key part of spiritual formation and intimacy with Jesus. See, all of me, including my body, needs to be transformed, not just my mind. We can't excuse our bodies from our transformation. And so fasting is a practice of not getting what we want, even if it is right or it is our right, okay? It is a practice of releasing our rights. See, we decide of our own choosing not to give our bodies what they want, food, and as a result, when something or someone doesn't give us what we want, we don't freak out, rage, and go ballistic on our family and friends or on social media. I think our rage when we don't get what we want or something happens that we deserve, it is a right that we have, even it is right to have. When we rage about that, I think it is an evidence and an example of how we are missing Christ-likeness in our bodies and that our flesh is rampant and runs wild. I think that alone is, a, is an indictment of our unrestrained church culture. And so when I survive the denial of something necessary, food for life, then the less significant is put in perspective and I can find contentment and humility and joy in the midst of not getting what I want. Let me ask you this. How great would it be? How incredible would it be if not getting what you wanted didn't bother you? That would change the world, wouldn't it? That would change a community. That would change a family. If, if not getting what you wanted didn't bother you. 
but our culture is defined with being angry about we didn't about not getting what we want. And I think in part within the people of God, it's because we have, whether consciously or subconsciously, ignored one of the primary ways God works in us through fasting. You see, fasting is a practice of suffering like Jesus, learning how to suffer with joy. Because we can. We're totally capable of, of, of suffering with joy. And I know that sounds like two opposite things, but they're not. They are possible. Remember that fasting is an invitation to joy and intimacy. And here's the thing that we need to remember. Because fasting is not a transaction with God, don't be bothered by failures in fasting. And don't be driven by comparison with others. Simply pursue the bridegroom's voice and engage the process. God is not evaluating you on your performance, but he is moved by your desire, however imperfect it might be. Failure in fasting is not an opportunity for shame. <laughs> it's an opportunity to recognize that maybe I am more stuck in my flesh than I thought. And I've got an opportunity to walk in the Spirit. As I said, we'll be talking for the next few weeks about fasting. And uh, I, I do want to give us a, some thoughts and a next step, an action piece, because, again, this isn't just information. <laughs> this is engaging our bodies. Jesus says, blessed are the those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. At some point, our spiritual formation must stand against the desire in order to actually satisfy our desire for God. If we are always satisfying our desire that we hunger for, in this world, we will never truly hunger for the satisfaction that can only come from God. Have you ever eaten so much, you're so full, and then your absolute favorite thing to eat on the planet is in front of you, and that's not even appealing because you're so full of other stuff? That's how we miss the fullness of God. And that's what fasting does to try to help us experience God's fullness. I think a great idea when you're participating in fasting is that every time my stomach growls, that I would say out loud, more than, more than I want food, I want you, Jesus. More than I want food, I want you, Jesus. Because that's probably the irreducible essence of fasting. <laughs> I think it's super cool and in God's providential wisdom that that we were planning on, on this Sunday being the Sunday we all gather for one service and we have a prayer and worship service. But for a number of reasons, we had to change that, which obviously was the Holy Spirit because, because then we moved this fasting sermon up a week, which I think is super cool because this Wednesday, March 2nd, is the first day of Lent this year. And again, Lent is something that maybe some of you are familiar with, some of you aren't, because again, we're not Catholic, so we think that's a Catholic thing. 
but I'm more and more thinking that Lent is a great Jesus thing. Because you see, Lent is the 40 days, not including Sundays, before Easter. And the focus of Lent is prayer and fasting and giving. Interestingly enough, those are the things that Jesus says are pathways and tools to become intimate with him. The, the, the idea of Lent is connected with the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness anticipating his ministry of reconciliation. And so the, the, the focus of Lent is to focus on the life of Jesus, his ministry, his sacrifice, and his resurrection. And unusual and heightened focus on that. And, and so really for Lent then, people tend to give up something for Lent. Traditionally, people have fasted at different times for Lent. People have abstained from certain things during Lent. And so this year, I'd like to invite you to join together for Lent. And I wanna give you an easy option or an easier option and a harder option. I would encourage you to take both options if you're able. The, the hard option, the harder option, I would say, this Wednesday, consider a rhythmic fast if it's physically and mentally wise for you to participate in. Consider a rhythmic fast for the next 40 days until Easter. What I mean by that is you don't necessarily have to fast every day. Maybe it's once a week. Remember, for 400 years, Jesus' followers fasted every Wednesday and Friday. You don't have to fast Wednesday and Friday, but maybe one day a week. Maybe, it's, maybe there will be a certain meal each week that you fast, and you intentionally place your focus on Jesus during that time. But I would invite you to consider a rhythmic fast for the next 40 days starting on Wednesday. Maybe the easier option that you can consider is consider abstaining from something in order to participate with Jesus in the laying down of your rights. So maybe it's you're abstaining from something for the next 40 days between Wednesday and Easter. That should be easy enough. But if we're having a hard time finding something to abstain from that we regularly do, it might mean we are really deep in bondage to our flesh. I would encourage you to do both of those things. I would encourage you to abstain from something for the next 40 days and set your mind on what Jesus has done in his life and ministry. And I would encourage you to step into rhythmic fasting between now and Easter. Next week, we are going to all come together at nine o'clock for one service, a service of prayer and worship and celebration and fellowship. And I would like to invite you next Saturday to join in a family fast. That next Saturday, invite you to fast together as, as a church family. Now that could be for the whole day and break your fast on Sunday when we come together with communion. Or it could be as simple as deciding to fast for lunch next Saturday. Because remember, fasting isn't a transaction with God. It's a pursuit of intimacy with Jesus. And so whether you choose to fast all day next Saturday or, or fast for lunch on Saturday or not fast at all, that's okay. 
But I would ask that, that those of us here at Crosspoint, that next Saturday at noon, we, wherever we are, we stop and we pause and we declare our dependence and hope on Christ. That we'll know that this coming Saturday at noon, that everyone in our church will pause and declare dependence on Jesus and hope in Jesus, however that works and however long that takes. And then Sunday as we gather together and share communion, some of us will be breaking a fast, some of us will be recognizing Jesus, some of us will be celebrating what Jesus has done, but they will join together and do that. And if over the last months God has worked in you in hard or cool ways, especially related to reading the Beatitudes daily or practicing intimacy with Jesus, please share those things with us, whether email or call or stop in. Because we want to celebrate those things. We want to celebrate those things as a church, what Jesus is doing in us. And so again, the next few weeks we'll be talking about fasting. The greatest tragedy would be is that you learn more about fasting, but you don't use it as a tool to become more intimate with Jesus. So don't waste that opportunity. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you so much for your love and your patience and that you eagerly offer us every day, every hour, deep and abiding relationship with you. Father, I pray that we would be a people who pursue intimacy on every level, including fasting and choosing to abstain from certain things at certain times. That we would anticipate the return of, of Jesus Christ. That fasting would help us recognize what's wrong with what we think is normal. And that we would be able to better handle the things that happen around us. That even when we don't get what we want, that we don't even care because we are so immersed in your sovereignty and your love and your victory. Thank you for these things in Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.